Matthew chapter 24, verses 32 through 35 is where we'll begin tonight. Jesus says, From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branches, branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, what we're going to deal with tonight, what generation is Jesus referring to here? Now, hopefully you understand it can't be the generation that heard Jesus speak these things, because what we've been reading about in Matthew 24 with the Antichrist and the wars and the famines and the plagues and the sun going dark and the moon turning to blood and the Jews being chased off into the wilderness and all those things we've been studying in Matthew 24, uh, those haven't happened yet. So it couldn't be the generation that was alive at that time that Jesus was speaking to. Oh, there are some that think that all this that we read in Matthew 24 was fulfilled in A.D. 70 and all that, but that doesn't line up with the whole of Scripture. When did the sun go dark and the moon turn to blood and all that stuff? And when did everybody on the earth come and see Jesus return? That didn't happen, just like the Scripture said. And so, obviously, the group or the generation that heard him speak those words can't be the generation he's talking about. So what generation is he talking about? Now, could he be speaking about the generation that sees the signs of his coming? Remember, the disciples came to him and said, what will be the signs of your coming and the end of the age? And he begins to lay out for them the tribulation period and that seven-year period beginning, like I said, with the Antichrist and the wars, the rumors of wars and the famines and the pestilences and all those things. And he says, but remember, the end is not yet. And when Jesus was asked about his return and his coming, he described the seven-year tribulation period. So is Jesus talking about the generation that sees those signs begin, that generation won't pass away until all those things have been fulfilled? Well, sure, obviously that is a yes, because as we know from what we've been studying, all the scripture together from Genesis to Revelation shows us that that time period is only going to last seven years. So that generation will obviously see his return. But I want to throw out to you a few things. Remember that I think Jesus could be, have given us a clue here when he references the fig tree. Look again at verse 32. He says, From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that He is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth are going to pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, in order to grasp what he's talking about here, you've got to keep in mind, remember that Jesus has already cursed the fig tree and it withered. Go back to Matthew 21 and look at verses 18 and 19. In Matthew 21, verses 18 and 19, it says, In the morning, as Jesus was returning to the city, he became hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it, and he found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again, and the fig tree withered at once. Now, if you remember from our study of that, we showed how the fig tree was a picture of Israel and how God was promising a judgment on Israel because of their rejection of the Messiah. Now, we already saw in the previous chapters that Jesus had prophesied the destruction of the temple and the burning of the city of Jerusalem because of their rejection of the Messiah. Go to Matthew 22. Look at verses 1 through 7. Remind you of what we saw there. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. 
And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Now again he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Now the king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. So again, just like that did happen in AD 70, he said that a judgment was going to come on them because of their rejection of the Messiah. But go to Matthew 23 and look at verses 34 through 38. In Matthew 23, 34 through 38, Jesus says this. He says, Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you'll kill and crucify, some you'll flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Now truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. But look at verse 39. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's put this all together here. We saw in Matthew 21 that as we did our study back then, that all through the Old Testament, you see that the fig tree has always been used as a picture of Israel. And because of their rejection of the Messiah and Jesus knowing they were going to reject him, he gave them a picture with the fig tree by cursing the fig tree and it immediately withered. Jesus also said to him, because of your rejection of the son of the king, the son of God, the Messiah, he's going to send and destroy and burn your city. He then goes and he says, let me tell you something else about you guys. You're going to go and you're going to reject the prophets and you're going to kill those that are sent to you and you're going to crucify some. And on you is going to come a judgment that is going to cause the temple to be desolate and you're going to be rejected. So he prophesies that there's a coming judgment on them in which they're going to be destroyed. Yet he does say, you will see me again. Speaking to who? The Jews, you won't see me again until you see, say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And like we've already looked at, he's already had the triumphal entry. He's already had them say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But then they changed their minds and rejected him. So he says, you won't see me again until that time. So I want you to understand, Jesus said to the nation of Israel, because of your rejection of me, God's going to bring a judgment on you. And it's going to be a pretty severe judgment. Your temple's going to be destroyed. Not one stone's going to be left on top of another. And you're going to be desolate but you will see me again. There's a judgment coming on you, but it's not going to be final. It's not going to be final. And what I want to do is I want to show you how the Old Testament prophecies also told of a harsh judgment on Israel, but that they would not be totally destroyed. Go to Jeremiah chapter 30. I'm going to have you read a bunch of passages with me in Jeremiah, starting in chapter 30 and verses 1 through 7. Look closely at how, I want you to see this, God's all along said that because of their rejection of the Messiah, there was going to be a judgment in Israel, they're going to be set aside for a time. As we saw in Romans chapter 11, they've experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles comes in. And then after that, all Israel that survives the tribulation period will be saved. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 30 verses 1 through 7. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, 
Write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord. And I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. Now these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord, we have heard a cry of panic, of terror, and no peace. Ask now, and see, can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why has every face turned pale? Alas, that day is so great, there is none like it. It's a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. So here we see that there's a judgment coming, and we have already studied this passage, and it talk, pictures the tribulation period. It's going to be a time of distress like has not been yet on the face of the earth, and no, will never be one another one like it. Jesus said that in Matthew 24. And he even said, talking about the tribulation period, that time of distress for Israel, the seven-year period, he says, if I don't cut those days short, no human being would survive. But even though Israel's going to be judged during this time, oh, they were... Cast aside for a period because of the rejection of the Messiah. Yes, he did burn their city. Yeah, the temple was leveled. And they were scattered all over the globe. Miraculously, in 1948, they became a nation again. Keep that in mind. But go to Jeremiah chapter 30 and look at verses 8 through 11. And it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck. Isn't that interesting? It's a his yoke. It's an individual's yoke. From off your neck, and I will burst your bonds, and foreigners shall no more make a servant of him, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Then fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel. For behold, I will save you from far away, and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid. By the way, stop real quick. Yes, Israel's become a nation again since 1948. They're all back, not all, but a lot of them are back in their land. Are they at ease and not afraid? Of course not. This regathering of Israel, like we have seen in our lifetime, is not the prophecy, prophecy fulfilled. It's just setting the stage for the prophecy to be fulfilled. Because the prophecy said that in that time that Jesus comes back, the Antichrist is going to come to Jerusalem and step into the temple well, that means Israel's going to have to be back in the land, and there's going to have to be a temple at that time. Do you understand? So people for years have said, oh, he's regathered Israel, just like the prophecy. No, read the prophecies. That regathering is at the end, after they've been chased out of Israel one more time, and they're going to be gathered, and at that point, they're never going to worry again. He's going to break his bond off of their neck, and he's going to be their king, and they're going to worship him. Oh, but keep reading. For verse 11, For I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. I will make a full end of all the nations among whom I scattered you. But of you, I will not make a full end. I will discipline you in just measure, and I will by no means leave you unpunished. So again, we see that God promises that He's going to keep them around. He's going to regather them at the very end. They'll go through a real hard time because of their sin, but they won't be totally destroyed. Go to Jeremiah chapter 30, look at verse 15. Why do you cry over your hurt? Your pain is incurable because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. I have done these things to you. Therefore, all who devour you shall be devoured and all your foes, every one of them shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall be plundered and all who prey on you, I will make a prey for I'll restore health to you and your wounds. I will heal, declares the Lord, because they have called you an outcast. It is Zion for whom no one cares. Keep reading. 
Thus says the Lord, Behold, I'll restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob and have compassion on his dwellings. The city shall be rebuilt on its mound and the palace shall stand where it used to be. Out of them shall come songs of thanksgiving and the voices of those who celebrate. I will multiply them and they shall not be few. I will make them honored and they shall not be small. Their children shall be as they were of old and their congregation shall be established before me and I will punish all who oppress them. Their prince shall be one of themselves. Their ruler shall come out from their midst. I'll make him draw near and he shall approach me. For who would dare of himself to approach me, declares the Lord. And you shall be my people and I will be your God. Behold, the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intentions of his mind. In the latter days... You will understand this. Isn't that interesting? This prophecy is talking about the last days. Go to chapter 31 and look at verses 1 through 14. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Hang on for a second. Look at verse 1 again. At that time. That's prophecy words, folks. That's end times words. It declares the Lord, I'll be the God of all the clans of Israel and they shall be my people. By the way, is that the case now? No. Oh, but look at what it says. Thus says the Lord, verse 2, the people who survived the sword found grace where? In the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. Remember how Jesus himself said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, don't even go back into your house, run out into the wilderness. And we saw in Revelation last week when we studied this, they're going to go out in the wilderness for three and a half years, be protected by the Lord. Satan's going to try to attack them, but he won't be able to. God's going to protect them. This is talking about the last days. Again, Israel's back in the land. Praise God, that's an awesome thing. But that's only setting the stage for the final prophecies for them to be scattered again. There's going to be a rebuilding of the temple. I don't know when it's going to happen, but there's going to be because Jesus said that there would be a temple for the Antichrist to step into. Oh, and guess what? He said, all of my words will be fulfilled. They're going to happen. Keep reading. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines. And shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when watchmen will call in the hill country of Ephraim. Arise and let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, sing aloud with gladness for Jacob and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Did you catch that? Who's he saving? The remnant. At the end of the tribulation period. Those who survive. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 24, and he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Keep reading. Behold, I'll bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. Among them, the blind and the lame, the pregnant woman and she who is in labor together. A great company, they shall return here. With weeping, they shall come and with pleas for mercy, I will lead them back. I'll make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am father to, a father to Israel 
and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob, and he has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. Then the, shall the young woman rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the, old, and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. Jump over to verse 16. Thus says the Lord, Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. For there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is a hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. I have heard Ephraim grieving. You have disciplined me, and I was disciplined like an untrained calf. Bring me back that I may be restored, for you are the Lord my God. For after I had turned away, I relented, and after I was instructed, I struck my thigh. I was ashamed, and I was confounded, because I bore the disgrace of my youth." Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. Therefore my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. Jump down to verse 35 in this same chapter. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law within them and I'll write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I'll remember their sin no more. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. And it goes on. I could keep going. I think you get the idea. The prophecy is very, very clear that God is going to, after a time of really severe discipline, restore Israel. He's going to restore Israel. And at the end of those days, they're going to be regathered finally into the land. But their regathering in 1948 is pretty cool. That's a wonderful thing because that means these prophecies about Israel being in the land, having a temple when the Antichrist chases them out, can start to be fulfilled because they're back there now. That's why in the church for so long, the church tried to figure out, well, as they, for almost 2,000 years of the church age, there was no Israel. There was no Israel in the land. And so prophecy people and theologians would look at all these prophecies about Zion and Israel, and they said, well, maybe Israel means something else. And they came up with all these theories and theologies that the church has now replaced Israel. No, the church has been given the promises of Israel. We have been made righteous before God, just like He's going to for the nation of Israel, where He's erased our sin, He's washed us clean, He's put His Spirit within us, He's causing us to obey Him. 
He's given us what He's going to give to Israel. And what does Romans 11 say? He's using us to make Israel jealous. He's not done with Israel. The church hasn't replaced Israel. God's not done with Israel. Go to Acts chapter 3. I don't have this in my notes, but God kept bringing it to my mind the whole time I'm reading these prophecies. Look at verse 17. Peter's preaching to the Jews. He says in Acts chapter 3, verse 17, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, look closely, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Did you remember how in Jeremiah we kept saying, I'm going to rest- he kept saying, I'm going to restore the fortunes of Israel and Judah. I'm going to re- restore the fortunes of Israel and Judah. Jesus has gone to heaven until when? Until it's time to restore all that. He's going to finish what he started with Israel during that time period, the sign of his coming in the end of the age. So when Jesus says, learn the lesson from the fig tree, when you'd see its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. I'm going to throw out something to you as a possibility. He could be saying that the generation that sees Israel rebud as a nation is the generation that won't pass away until all these things are fulfilled. I want to throw that out to you as a possibility. Now, that might get some of you excited, but if you're math people, I'm going to have to calm you down a little bit. Because people start going, oh, hang on. So you're saying... Jesus might have been saying the nation that sees Israel rebud won't pass away until all of this has been fulfilled. That means there's a possibility that 1948 started the countdown to the clock. And that church people for the years have had this interpretation, have tried to figure out how long a generation is. Go to Matthew 24. Look at verse 36. Matthew 24, verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. In other words, Jesus says, I'm going to give you a hint. Learn the lesson from the fig tree. When you see Israel rebud, you'll know that that generation won't pass away until all these things have been fulfilled. And then all of a sudden, everybody started saying, okay, 1948. Well, how long's the generation? I remember when I was a uh, youth pastor here at First Baptist in Atlantic in 1988, a guy wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why Christ Will Return in 88. His theology was because he thought a generation was 40 years. And if Israel became a nation in 1948, 88 has to be when he comes back because that's a generation. Well, I'm going to show you from Scripture, we don't know how long a generation is. Go to Psalm 95. Go to Psalm 95. Look at verses 1 through 11. Psalm 95, verse 1. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with the songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, and for He is our God. And we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. 
Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said they are a people who astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And so people have gone, see, Jesus says here that a generation is 40 years. No, look closely what the prophecy says. It says that for 40 years, I loathed the generation. He doesn't say a generation is only 40 years, but he, that generation, he was angry with them for how long? For 40 years. Go to Psalm 90. Look at verse 10. Psalm 90, verse 10. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. So, all right, now is the generation 70 years or is it 80? We don't know. But a lot of people try to say, okay, well, maybe it's 70 or possibly 80. And so they start doing the math from 1948. And by the way, Israel's already had their 70th anniversary of becoming a nation. So they're thinking, well, it's between 70 and 80. Maybe be careful. Jesus already said no one knows. Go to Matthew chapter 1. Look at verse 17. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 17, the scripture says this, So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the departure to Babylon there were 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon, from the deportation of Babylon to the Christ, there were 14 generations. So it shows us now there were 14 generations from this group to that group, and 14 from that time period to that time period, and 14 more. Oh, and by the way, if you take the time to go and do the math, do the actual research and figure out how many... The generations add up in that to like 51.2 or 51.4 years for a generation. So what is it? What's a generation? We don't know. But if I live to be 120 years, which I don't want to, by the way, but if I live to be 120 years, my generation will still be alive. Correct? So we don't know how long a generation is. But if Jesus was giving us a clue when he said, learn the lesson from the fig tree. Remember the fig tree? He was the, he's the picture when he cursed them and showed that a judgment was coming. But the prophecy said he wasn't going to be totally done. He told them that the city was going to be burned. The temple was going to be destroyed. Not one stone on top of another. He actually said, also though, I'm going to leave you guys desolate for a while. But then he says, but you will see me again. We're living in an amazing time period, folks, where the nation of Israel became a nation again, miraculously. If you do a study of history, you'll find that no generation, or sorry, no nation on the history of the earth has ever been removed from their land for more than two to three hundred years and ever come back. Yet the nation of Israel was out of their land for almost two thousand years and they became a nation again in a day. And as much as they've had everybody against them and everybody wanting to get rid of them and all the nations and the UN and everybody saying they shouldn't even be a nation anymore, miraculously, they are. But the prophecies about them all coming, being gathered back, first off, haven't been fulfilled because there's Jews all over the globe still. Go to Miami. All right. Fort Lauderdale, New York City, New Jersey, places I've been. There's lots of Jews still everywhere. And on top of that, they'll all worship him at that time, the prophecy says. Those days haven't been fulfilled. Why? Because they have to be back in the land for the last day prophecies of them being scattered one more time to happen. But at the end of that, at the end of those days, 
In the latter days, we'll understand these things. He's going to regather them. And he's going to judge them harshly, but not make a full end of them. And Jesus says, pay attention. Go to Acts chapter 1. Again, because some of you are thinking, well, Jim, if you're saying the nation, well, I'll just count 120 years from, from 1948. Jesus said that we're not supposed to worry about that stuff. Go to Acts chapter 1. Look at verses 6 through 11. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, this is the disciples, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Remember, it's coming back. He taught them for 40 days about the kingdom of God, the scripture said. And after that, they said, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And then he goes on and says, we're going to receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we're going to be his witnesses all over the globe. Our responsibility of the church is not to try to figure out when the return of Jesus is. We're not to be worried about that stuff. If you, and I'm not going to take the time. I want to so bad, but I got so much more I want to cover tonight. I could show you how all through the New Testament, the church has not been taught to watch for the Antichrist. The church has been taught to walk, look for Jesus, to watch for Jesus. Why? Because he's going to come and gather his bride, gather his church, take us to be with him. And then that seven year period that has been prophesied, according to Daniel 9, 20 through 27, for Israel and the city of Jerusalem. It's for them. It's not for us. He's doing something right now. I thought about this tonight while I was speaking, how he was going to use people like us who weren't raised Jewish. I, I, I'm as gentle, Gentile as you can get. I was raised in Milton, New Hampshire. All right. I mean, none of you don't even know where New Hampshire is, let alone Milton, New Hampshire. Graduating class of, of 26 students in my high school. And I just tell people I graduated fourth in my class. That's all they need to know. They don't need to know there are only 26. But here's the deal. It hit me as I was teaching tonight. Boy, you want to talk about God using somebody that doesn't know nothing about Judaism to make Israel jealous, to take someone like me and put it on my heart to understand the prophecies in the Old Testament. And I can say to a Jew, look what it says here. Look what it says here. Look what it says here. And they'll go, you didn't even were raised with all this stuff. How do and maybe God can use Jim Johnson to make a Jew who's out there maybe listening right now jealous and come to faith. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon who? Them, as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But we're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. And then he goes on, but listen closely. And then he goes on how we're to encourage each other and how we're watching for Jesus, not for the Antichrist. Listen closely. It's not for us to get caught up in when is Jesus returning. Our job is to be witnesses, tell people he's coming back, show them what the scripture says, so that if they happen to be around when those things are fulfilled, the Lord can use those scriptures to open their eyes. Go to Matthew 24, look at verses 36 through 44. Jesus says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. 
For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Actually, I'm going to stop. I've already got into verse 45. We're going to stop at verse 44 for tonight. As we look at these verses now concerning the coming of the Son of Man, we need to keep in mind that when Jesus is referring to the time of his coming, he's referring to the time period of his coming. The tribulation period. That's why it's given us a lot of problems. We read these verses and we think of the day that he's coming back. If you think of the day, the 24-hour period when he's coming back, some of this isn't going to make any sense. But if you understand, the disciples came to him in Matthew 24 and said, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And what does he say? Does he tell them about the last day or does he tell them about the whole time period that sets up his return? The tribulation period. So when Jesus says, talks about the coming of the Son of Man, don't immediately jump in your head to that actual day that he comes back to the earth. Keep in mind, we're talking about the time period of his coming. That'll help you understand this. This is why Jesus describes the unbelievers going about with everyday life right up to his coming. When we've already seen that things happening on the earth right before the day of his arrival will not make wedding plans feasible, right? You ever had that problem? I've looked at that and got, um, I've read the tribulation period prophecies. I know what it says in Revelation. I know what's going to be happening in the second half of the tribulation period. I know how we've already seen how Jesus said it's going to be so bad in that day. Barely anybody's going to survive. There's going to be people hiding in the rocks and the caves. There's going to be hailstones that are coming a hundred and something pounds each onto the earth. Uh, the seas are going to be turned to blood. The, the, the fresh water is going to be destroyed. There's going to be demons tormenting people on the earth. The sun's going to go black. The the stars are going to fall from the sky. Who's going to be making wedding plans at that time? But Jesus wasn't talking about when he says the sign of his coming or the time of his coming, meaning the actual day that he returns. He's talking about that time period. Oh, by the way, did not when Noah was building the ark for that long period of time, the people have all this warning that the day was coming? But they just ignored it kept living like everything's normal. And then all of a sudden, the judgment came. And that's why in Revelation chapter 1, the Bible talks about how he's coming quickly. Behold, I come soon. And we've, have you ever heard my teaching on that? That word soon actually is the word entaxe in the Greek, and it means quickly. It's where we get our word tachometer. Tachometers don't measure time. They measure the quickness or the speed of something happening. And when that day begins, when that tribulation period starts, things are going to happen all together. That's why putting it in order is kind of hard, because a lot of things are all happening at the same time. People are going to be, right up until that day, the tribulation period, they're going to be thinking everything's normal. Well, go real quick to 2 Peter. Go to 2 Peter Chapter 3. 
Look at verse 1. And now this is the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, sorry, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come when? In the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water and by, by the word of God. And that by the means of these, the world that existed then was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and the thousand years are as one day. The Lord's not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but He's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Does that sound familiar? I think that's what Jesus just said. The day the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of, the, of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to His promise... We are awaiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Peter said, look, in the last days, there's going to be a lot of people scoffing and saying, everything's just like it always was. There's no judgment coming. I shared this with you last time, but I'm going to say it again. During this preaching trip that my wife and I got to do this summer where we spent two months on the road, one of those days we took a vacation as we're driving up through Kentucky and we went to the Ark Encounter. I don't know if you've ever been to the Ark Encounter. It's, it's, it's amazing where the Answers in Genesis has actually rebuilt the ark in full scale of what the Scripture said it was. And it's mind-blowing, just absolutely mind-blowing, and see how big it was. And after we had already gone through it, and then we went and listened to Ken Ham speak, and then we went and got some lunch, my wife said, we've already paid to go through it. I want to go through it one more time. And I said, go for it. My knee doesn't want to go through it again. And I went and sat on a bench outside the ark while she went in for an hour or so to just look around without her husband saying, let's go, let's go. Are we there yet? Are we done? No, and so I went and sat outside on a bench and I could see the whole ark from the front to the back. And what God impressed upon me was this. He kept saying to me, Jim, I judged the whole world one time and I'm going to do it again. Tell them. Tell them. Folks, I don't know when it's going to happen. We're to be watching for Jesus. We're to be ready at any moment for Him to come and gather us. By the way, if we still had to go through the tribulation period, the Bible wouldn't be teaching that we're to be ready at any moment. Because we got at least seven more years before He comes back. Why is He telling us in the church to be ready at any moment? Because we're going to be gathered to Him. And then all this stuff will happen. Folks, 
Let me just say something to you that I want you to hear. And I want you to hear it clearly. Jesus is coming back in your lifetime. Now we say, wait a minute, Jim. You just said nobody knows. Don't do the math. No, no, no. You didn't hear what I said. I didn't say the rapture was happening in your lifetime. I didn't even say that the tribulation period was going to happen in your lifetime. But you do realize, Christians who are listening, that the moment we pass from this life to the next, Jesus comes and get us, gets us. He said so himself in John 14. He says, in my Father's house, there's many rooms. If it weren't so, I would have told you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me where I am. It's a picture of the rapture. I'm going to come and get you. By the way, we may not experience the rapture in our lifetime, but if you die tonight, Jesus is coming in your lifetime to get you. That's where we're going, by the way, in the verses to come. That's why as we interpret these verses that we're in here in Matthew 24, you're going to see that, that Jesus is setting the stage for a mindset switch. He's already been laying out the sign of his coming and the end of the age, and he's laying out the tribulation period, and he's gone into all that detail. But about that day and hour, you can see there's a change in his prophecy here. About that day and the hour, no one knows. Don't try to figure out when it is. Oh, by the way, Acts 17, verse 31, it said, Paul says he's preaching in the Areopagus in Mars Hill. He said, God has set a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through the one that he's proven who it is by rising him from the, raising him from the dead. So the day's already been set. It's not waiting on anything. People have said, well, it's waiting for the last Gentile to be saved. No, remember, we've already let, laid that all out. <laughs> he's not waiting for us to get the gospel to the whole world. The day's already been set. God's know when it's going to happen. But a judgment's coming. And just like he judged the world, he's going to judge this world. But listen, the prophecy that Jesus is giving here makes a change. And what we're going to do in the time we have left tonight is I want to show you a little, little bit how Jesus is getting them ready for. Don't worry about when it's going to happen. But be focusing on whether or not you're ready for when it happens. He's about to, in the verses I started to read but I needed to stop at, go into the servant who didn't think his master was coming, coming back for a while. And he didn't act like he should. And he was caught by surprise because the master came back quicker than he thought. Then he's going to go into, in chapter 25, the parable of the ten virgins and how they weren't ready for the fact that it would be a long period. By the way, did you catch how Jesus gave him a little hint there? It might be a long time before I come back. And you need to be ready for the long haul. And then if we all know the parable of the talents, it doesn't really matter when he comes back. The issue is what have you done with what he's given you to do in the meantime. And we're going to get into all that when we come back in November after my knee surgery. But... Go back to Matthew 24 again to verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of, be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be... Uh, in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill and one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Now, this is why some people have tried to take the one person in the field, one taken, two people in the field, one taken, one left, two grinding at the mill, one taken, one left. They've tried to have this refer to the rapture of the church. 
But if you go look at Luke's parallel account, you'll see that it can't be talking about the rapture. Luke's parallel account, and I want you to go there with me. Go to Luke 17. And start in verse 20. Sorry, verse 22. Luke 17, verse 22. You're going to see Luke's parallel account of Jesus' teaching here actually shows that this coming, taken and left, is tied to judgment. Verse 22, And Jesus said to the disciples, The days are coming when you'll desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they'll say to you, look there, look here, don't go out or follow them, for as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in His day. But first He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Now just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planning and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is in his house up with his goods not in his house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding together. One will be taken, the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Look closely. Again, remember, when he's talking about his coming, he's not talking about that last day when he steps on the earth. He's talking about that time period. And just like at the time of Noah, even though he was building the ark in front of them, they ignored him, they laughed at him, they mocked him, and then they were all caught by surprise when the judgment came. Just like in the days of Lot, he said, they were all going about their business, and then the second that Lot and his family were removed... The judgment came. And he says, that's how it's going to be at that time period. They're going to be caught by surprise. They're not going to be expecting it. That's why I kind of lean toward the rapture in the tribulation period, the rapture happening in the tribulation period beginning, probably going to be pretty close. Because it's kind of hard for me to imagine a rapture of all the believers taking off of this globe and people thinking everything's as normal as usual. But then again, there could be. There could be a time period between the rapture and then the tribulation period where people have all of a sudden say, hey, the aliens took them away or whatever it was. Or, you know, and they all go back to acting like everything's normal. We don't know how it's all going to be. But let me just say this to you. When that time period, the tribulation period comes and it begins, it's going to catch them all by surprise. That's why Jesus said, hinting toward what we already read in Matthew 24, when you see this stuff happening, don't even go back into your house. You better get out of there. Things are going to get bad. Luke's parallel account shows us that the ones taken are taken for judgment. Why? It just said, one will be taken and the other left. In verse 37, they said to him, where? Where are they taken? And what does he say? Where the corpse is, there the vultures gather. Sounds like they're taken for judgment. This whole prophecy is tied to that time period. And again, it's them, they, them, they. As it was in the days of Noah, Noah and his family were left to repopulate the earth. The rest of the world was taken in judgment. Now, the next verse is 42 through 44 about the thief in the night preps, Jesus preps his hearers for what he's about to cover. 
in his next teaching. He's been saying that many will be unaware of the fact that a judgment is coming and swept away in judgment. But we're not to be like that because we are watching and we are prepared for his coming. Again, don't try to figure out the time or the when, but to be ready for whenever. Because like I've already just touched on and hinted at, many, many of us may never see the rapture. We may be, go see him before then. We don't know when our day is. Some people are 70. Some people are 80 if they have the strength. Sometimes longer. Some others die quicker. Let me just give you a little picture of where he's going. He's just said that he could come at any moment. And then he tells the story that we're going to get to later on in Matthew 24. Who just thought that the guy thought, well, he won't be coming back for a while. He's delayed. I'll just do whatever I want in the meantime. Even though he'd been given responsibility, his attitude was he won't be coming for a while. And the master came at a time he didn't expect. Then he tells the parable of the parable of the uh, sorry the the, the ten virgins because Jesus knows us real well. If Jesus tells a story where he says uh, I'm going to come back quicker than some of you think, everybody starts whispering. That means he's coming back quick. He just gave us a clue. He's coming back quick. And then he immediately tells the parable of the ten virgins and how some were ready for it to be a long period and others weren't. By the way, let me ask you a question. Has anybody ever noticed that some people die a whole lot earlier than they thought they were going to? Has that ever happened on this world? Of course. He came back quicker than they thought he would. Do you ever notice that we have some older folks that live to be long periods and sometimes end up in a nursing home and they say, why am I still here? I thought Jesus would have come and got me by now. Sometimes his return's longer than some people think. See, the issue isn't when. Too many Christians are getting caught up in the when. I even did an early part of my stage of preaching. I, I tried to figure out the when. It's very tempting for all of us. But Jesus has already said to us over and over, it's not for us to know the times or the seasons. The Father set by his own authority. We're to just be witnesses. We're to be faithful. We're to be found busy doing while... We're waiting for his return. We're not to be sitting around trying to figure it out. Oh, we're to be studying prophecy. And we're to be telling people of what's coming. We're to be like Noah. We're to be preaching and preaching and preaching. Letting them know what's coming, even though it's not going to happen to us. But we need to be ready. And for some of you, you might not be here when we come back together in November. I hope you are. But if not, if you know the Lord, I'm not going to feel too bad for you. You might, have to, you might get to miss the election. Man, I'm at that point now where I'm just ready to, I'm turning the TV off because I'm just ready for the election to be over. Done with it. I told Becky tonight as we're driving in, I said, wouldn't it be cool or interesting that I have my knee replacement on November 9th and then we're raptured on November 10th? I said, I get a new knee on November 9th and then I get a newer knee on November 10th. That'd be really cool. She goes, why wouldn't you want to be raptured on the 8th? I'm like, I'm kind of excited about the surgery. Been looking forward to it for a while. I don't know, let's just do this thing. So I'm just weird. But we're, hey, that was enough. We have no amens out of Charlie until I say I'm weird. Okay, there we go. But here's the deal. Um, we're to be faithful with what it is that he's given us to do. And that's what we're going to look at when we get back. So I'm going to close with a passage that we've already read tonight. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm going to read the whole section that I had started reading and then stopped. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11.
Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you're all children of the light, children of the day. We're not of the night or the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you were doing. Folks, as you put all the prophecies together, the scripture clearly teaches that we're not going to be here when that time comes. It's not for us to know the times or the seasons. He doesn't need to write to us about all that stuff. The church has been taught to look for Jesus and to wait for his son from heaven because he's going to come and take us just like he went and took Lot and his family and said, get out of here. A judgment is coming. We're going to be taken to be with him. He has not appointed us for wrath. He's going to spare us, Revelation 3.10, the hour of trial that's coming on the earth. We are not to be getting caught up in all this worldly stuff, but to be focused on being faithful because he is coming back. He is going to gather his bride. He is going to reward us for our faithfulness. And he is going to judge the world. And the issue is not when. The issue is what you do in the meantime. Go to Acts chapter 13 and look at verse 36. One verse. Acts 13 verse 36. Paul's preaching and he's trying to explain to the Jews that the prophecy said that said that God would not let his holy one see decay was not referring to David. Because David died and his body decayed. But Jesus died, but he rose from the dead and his body didn't decay. And that prophecy that David wrote that you won't let your holy one see corruption was referring to Jesus and not David. In doing so, Paul makes a very interesting statement about David. Look at verse 36, and we'll close with this tonight to get our set the stage for when we come back. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and he saw corruption. In other words, his body decayed. Look at how he described David's life. After he had served the purpose of God in his own generation. That's when you're going to go. That's when I'm going to go. Many people over the years have really struggled with the story of David and Bathsheba and how David did a major, majorly bad sin. And he made a baby with someone else's wife. And God, through the prophet, comes and says, here's the consequence for your sin. I'm going to forgive your sin, but the consequence is the child that you guys just made, it's going to die. And everybody was like, well, that's not fair. What did that child do? And it hit me one day. If all the days ordained for me were written in God's book before one of them came to be, the scripture says that in Psalm 139. That child, everything that God had ordained for that child to accomplish in its lifetime was accomplished. God used that child to bring repentance to the king 
of Israel. Oh, by the way, the Bible is real clear that that child's in heaven. David himself even knew that. And the book of Ecclesiastes even says that the day of our death is better than the day of our birth. Folks, stop saying when people say to you, how are you doing? Stop saying, well, at least I'm on this side of the dirt. The other side's better if you know Jesus. If you know Jesus, just do what it is he's got for you to do. And when he's done with you, you're going to see him. Don't get caught up in all this other stiff stuff. Don't get caught up in all this other stuff in the world. When he comes back, will you be found ready and prepared because you've done what he accomplished for you to do? I love you. We'll see you in a few weeks.